0: and encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to take an opportunity to learn a little bit more about our faith uh, through the wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. To think of how many souls drew themselves closer to Christ by listening to Archbishop Sheen, by reading some of his books, or by watching some of his television shows or presentations. Uh, He has a great gift to the church in bringing us to an awareness that we were made for something bigger, that our lives are worth living, that there is a place called heaven, and there is a place called hell, and we're to avoid hell at all cost, But he helps us with this spiritual journey of getting to heaven. And uh, so today we will, uh, again, rely on him to assist us uh, as best we can. Uh there is always this temptation I think to just get um absorbed by the world, but um Fulton Sheen wants to remind us that there uh is a higher calling <laughs> and uh we it, it's it's difficult sometimes to respond to that call, but uh, he's going to encourage us. So uh today's reflection uh will be entitled What Holds Us Together. Uh, and that will come from his television series Life is Worth Living. And then we'll have a catechism lesson uh, at the second part of our program on the teachings of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, But before we head into our lessons with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, I want to thank everyone for their generosity uh, doing our fundraising drives. Um, All over the world, Radio Maria has been, of course, petitioning and uh, pleading for help Uh, for you our listeners to respond uh, generously and you have and so uh, again in thanksgiving for that and um, it's never too late to make a donation you know a lot of times uh, during the month of may we uh, again plead for your help Uh, it is the month of our lady it is the month of the rosary Uh, But still, uh, we need your help in June and July and August and December. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Uh, We need your help all the time. So uh, please keep us in your prayers and please uh, remember us uh, when you can, when you give alms, uh, to include a little bit uh, to Radio Maria. So my dear friends, uh, let us now uh, go to Fulton Sheen for a little bit of timely advice. And so may I invite you to enjoy this presentation entitled, what holds us together? Please enjoy.
1: As I came out, friends, I passed by those candles. I was wondering that if I ever lighted them, that I could play like Liberace. <laughs> Last week, someone in the studio came with a camera. And the woman alongside of her said Don't shoot now. Wait until he starts talking. Then shoot him. <laughs> time I must tell you a story. It's an ecumenical story. It's about a priest and a rabbi. They met in a train in Ireland. They were alone in the compartment. And the priest said to the rabbi, he said, Rabbi, honestly, have you ever eaten pork in your life? The rabbi said, if you keep a secret, I will tell you. I ate pork once. Now, said the rabbi, let me ask you a question. Did you ever kiss a girl? He said, if you keep it a secret, I will tell you. I did kiss a girl once. The rabbi said, beef eating pork, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Those are the kind of stories you can tell about religions that doesn't get anybody into trouble. Well, the title of this telecast, you remember, is about holding us together, because we're living in an entirely different age. Our new task is quite different. The new task is how to prevent ourselves from going to pieces. In other words, that ever since we split the atom, people are split. Races, nationalities, social groups. It seems as if almost all the rivets have fallen apart in the skyscraper of our civilization. Years ago, Conrad, the novelist, wrote a story about a ship in a river in Africa. The Captain Marlowe was pacing up and down this, the deck of this small ship. He was waiting for repairs. Long the shore, he could see the Native Africans dancing, singing, mocking him. As Marlowe paced the deck, you said Rivets by heavens. That's what I need. Up there at the station on the hill. Boxes of them piled o- open. Said you keep them as you walk along, they roll down the siding. And here I don't have a single rivet to put my plates together. this was a contrast between these carefree people and the technical civilization that was all at loss for progress because there were no rivets. Now that's what's keeping, making us rather, fall apart. The absence of some unifying principle just let me give you now some examples of how we're falling apart I will take education and literature and maybe philosophy and a few other things first of all take education it used to be centuries ago that there were universities now the word university means something that turns about one thing And what was that one thing? Well, in the Middle Ages it was theology. All sciences were, as it were, in relation to that. And later on it became philosophy. In modern times, without any philosophy of life, without any rivets, the universities split up into little departments one having no relation to another. Students may not know this, but this is a very reasonable reason for protest. The the human mind. Think of what it must look like when you go to Spanish at nine, English at ten, geometry at eleven, and sociology at twelve. What is there that can hold all these things together? And then we seem to, in education, because we have no unified meaning of life, we seem to be learning more and more about less and less. I went through a number of Ph.D. theses when I was in the university teaching. And I remember some of them. One thesis at the Midwestern University was on Four methods of cooking ham. PhD, Doctor of Philosophy. Four methods of cooking ham. Another was 20 ways of swinging dumbbells. Another university, the microbic content of cotton undershirts. What a wonderful thesis that That was. PhD. But I think the prize was one of our well-known Eastern universities a psychological study of the post-rotational eye movement of squabs. Now, this is one, just one area of life in which the rivets have gone. Take another, literature. What is the modern style of writing that was started by Hemingway? The story, the plot, the meaning, the purpose, what used to be called the moral no longer exists. What is narrated is only a succession of events totally unrelated to any other event so that you come away from the story almost without a point and certainly never a lesson. Then take the press rivets falling apart and TV, even. Here, for example, on TV, TV. suppose I were a, a news commentator. I would show you, for example, here is a clip that has just come to us this afternoon from Vietnam that shows a bomb dropping on one of the cities of Vietnam in which 10,000 people were killed. More details of this horrible massacre will be unfolded to you after this brief announcement. The White Knight will clean your dishes Think what what, what come, becomes of us. It means that both are meaningless. When we can shift so quickly from a story of horror and death to this insignificant detail about soap. Then the press is interested in getting your opinion and yours and yours, everybody's opinion. Not because of the opinion itself, but it said it to set it in contrast with someone else's opinion. So, as long as there's conflict, there's news. What, what's the purpose of opinions? Are we trying to develop a meaning and a philosophy of life? And this has so much affected personalities that today many minds have no unifying pattern of life. They read one book, maybe a bestseller, and they say, oh, this is a great idea. And they lay down the railroad tracks on which they will move. Then next week they read another book, and they tear up those tracks. They were a materialist last week. Now this week they begin to be an idealist. And as life goes on, they never have one goal or one purpose. No rivets in life. Now, this is serious. Uh, If this were a class in school, in the university, I would go more into detail. But just let me go through famous writers and thinkers and give you their concept of this rigidness civilization. 200 years ago, Detroit, who wrote a great deal about America and who foresaw America,
2: said Americans
1: are going to be superficial. They'll be interested in the surface of things and will not get down to death. Then, if you take those who have made a study of Grecian democracy, what made it fail, the Middle Ages, what made it fail, our contemporary civilization you get always the same answer there was nothing to hold civilization together for example Jaeger. those of you who are in university probably have read Yeager you work on Pidaya. which Yeager shows, shows that the Greek democracy of the pre-Christian times went to pieces just as soon as it lost its gods its faith and its myths Collingwood Collingwood wrote about the Middle Ages. Collingwood said that the Middle Ages went to pieces just as soon as it lost its faith. Politics and economics, he said, began to be independent of theology and morals and ethics. Philosophy was separated from theology and the unity of civilization decayed. In our modern times, Lionel Niebuhrd, Lionel Niebuhr compares our civilization to Babel, in which he says men are, are are confused. Each one is trying to make himself a god, and finally, try, eventually, to reach the heavens, and, and the attempt fails. And Toynbee, Toynbee wrote ten volumes called A Study of History. And he says that our age is suffering from a schism of soul. That is to say, we've lost all of our unity and we're like the pyramid builders. What he said was Egypt trying to do when it built the pyramids? It was trying to forget the slavery of people. And so upon all of that forced labor, was erected this monument to resist decay and it became the very basis of decay itself. I wonder that going to the moon $77 billion a year in preparation for war is not another babel. Is it not based not upon slavery? and neglect to the poor? It may it not end as Egyptian civilization ended? These are the questions which thinkers are asking. I've just tried to put it simply in terms of rivets. It's all the plates of our economics and politics and education and everything else together. Now, there's a danger, a grave danger in our civilization. Today, the catchword is freedom. Someday, we'll explain the three ways in which freedom can be understood. But freedom today is interpreted as license, as freedom from law, not freedom for something when you have a culture fissioned split up divided and minds without any goals you have chaos which is becoming more and more apparent in civilization what is the danger the danger is There may come along someone who will attempt to get us out of this chaos by creating some kind of maybe totalitarian state. In other words, a dictatorship arises in order to organize the chaos that was created by too much freedom. As a Russian writer put it, who had been through the, the communist revolution, and if you keep these words in mind, they may help to interpret future civilization. Unlimited freedom leads to unlimited tyranny. Communism was only an organization, forcible organization of a chaos When shepherds cannot get their sheep to follow them, they send dogs after them. We're in danger of having dogs run after us to organize us out of this chaos.
2: As Dostoevsky,
1: the French novelist, put it, he said, I wouldn't be at all surprised that there might arise out of our cities in some future day Someone someone unlearned would say, let's knock to pieces all of this supposed wisdom. Let us smash all of our logarithms to pieces. Let us go our own way. And you'll be surprised how many followers we will have. I know it's not a pleasant picture. But I'm just trying to keep up in what's happening in the world. And not just to be a part of this rivetless culture. Now, what will hold us together? Knowledge? No, not knowledge alone. We have indeed eaten of the tree of knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. We've picked off the fruit, and now we're eating the leaves. And knowledge, anyway, when it's about things above, always demands that we break up those noble things to fit our poor intelligence. What can unify civilization? Love. Oh, yes. But how that word is an issue. The Greeks had four words for love. Four. Believe me, when we say the Greeks had a word for it, they did. Someday I may give a telecast on those four words. Today we have only one word for love. Certainly we can call in a, an absolutely unprejudiced witness and the novelist Faulkner. Let me read you what he says. In other words, this is not the kind of love that will save us, the kind that he is describing and which, incidentally, he repudiates. He says, love, if you will, because it can't last. There's no place for it in the world today. We have eliminated it. That is, eliminated the true love took us a long time. But man is resourceful. So we got rid of love at last. Just as we got rid of Christ. If Venus returned today, or if Jesus returned today, we would crucify him quick in our defense. Venus returned. She would be a soiled man in a subway lavatory with a palm full of dirty French postcards. That's what's happened to our Concept of love, noble love, as it has degenerated into eroticism. But love is still the answer. What kind of love? What's the rivet that will hold us together? Oh, I forgot to signal my angel. but not his fault. It's three. We have mysterious winks. I do things like this. You'll always notice them. That I. This means that you uh, wash off the black blackboard. This means that you don't wash. Have you no, ever noticed me doing those things? No. Well, what is the kind of love that will save us? put rivers into our civilization. Three things. First of all, the only thing we can ever love is a person. We just simply cannot fall in love with a theorem of geometry. Or a syllogism. Or an abstraction. Even virtue itself is unappealing until virtue begins to be seen in a person. Why is it, for example, that today conversions take place more in the middle classes and upper classes than they do down below? Slums and inner city and among the poor. It's because the people in the upper classes can read, they can study, they can make comparisons, they know something about psychology and metaphysics, and they come to a concept of truth. But the people below they're not doing any reading. The only way they know about it is the way that the people live. And unless they can see that the manner of religion there is a little bit different from the rest of them, unless they can see that his love is of an entirely different character than the love that they know, even the best of them, then religion will never make any appeal. Second. Love must be a person. Secondly, that person must have suffered defeat. That is important. Why? Why must the person have suffered defeat that we love? Because we're defeated. That's why. Because we're frustrated. Believe me, we're not looking for heroes. But we fear not so much What we fear actually is not death. What we fear is defeat. Death only touches our existence. Defeat touches our personality. And if we're ever to put love, ever to put rivers into civilization, we have to find some person who's gone down to defeat and in that defeat has become victorious. And there's only one man that's ever done that. And even if he were wrong, which he's not, I would rather be wrong with him than right with the other.
2: Hello Radio Maria listeners, we take pride in giving you the very best in Catholic radio programming here on Radio Maria Canada. This month we are having our annual Marathon. Our goal this year is $10,000 to ensure Radio Maria continues and expands their outreach around the world. The world is hungry for hope, and we at Radio Maria would like to encourage you to donate whatever you can by either visiting our website at www.radiomaria.ca slash donate or contacting our office at 416-245-7117 or sending your donation by mail or by e-transfer to donations at radiomaria.ca. We would like to thank all our listeners for supporting Radio Maria and helping us reach our goal of $10,000 to ensure that Radio Maria continues to remain on air, providing the best in Catholic radio today.
0: Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that first reflection from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, uh, titled, What Holds Us Together? And uh, I tell you, (laughs) um, I am captivated by his voice and his message, Um, even though sometimes um, the quality of the recordings are a little crackly or uh, sometimes um, not perfect, uh, yet the message is so powerful. I mean how we ended that uh, broadcast where he said, I'd much rather be wrong with him, uh, referencing our Lord Jesus Christ, than be right with the world. And so, uh, again, we have to go against the world. I and mean, that's sometimes easier said than done. Um, yes, we love the victory that our Lord won on the cross for us, uh, the victory over sin. But do we want to follow him? Do we want to pick up our cross each day? and follow him. But, uh, again, it's one of these things where Fulton Sheen uh, reminds us that um, the devil is a liar and a thief, and he wants to rob us of our joy. And, of course, he wants to make things unclear. Uh, He wants to blur uh, the lines. He wants to uh, continue to keep us in confusion. Uh, Yet, uh, again, we know that our Lord is truth and light, and so Let us go out into the light, and uh, let us, of course, share the light with the world. And uh, again, Fulton Sheen reminds us that love is so important. Um, Love can hold us together, and it is the love of Christ, uh, those higher loves. And uh, Fulton Sheen, throughout his many books, uh, talks about that. We always seem to like to choose the lower loves, but uh, we're given an opportunity to choose a higher love. Uh, which is Christ and, of course, Our Lady and all the things of heaven. So, uh, as I said, easier said than done, but doable uh, through God's grace. And so let us pray for that grace, especially through the hands of our Blessed uh, Mother. Now, uh, of course, we will share with you now a catechism lesson, and I've been uh, trying to uh, share as many as I can within the year. Uh, We're on lesson number 16. It's uh, a lesson on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we will learn our catechism together here at Radio Maria. So please sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Sheen, as he teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Peace
3: be to you. In this lesson, we come to that detail of the creed which states... I believe in the Holy Ghost. As we stated before, Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit may be used indifferently. It might be well to introduce this particular subject by pondering on a question which you have probably asked yourselves many times. Would it not have been better for you to have lived in the days of our blessed Lord than to live now? Have you not missed much by not being a contemporary of the incarnate life of God that walked this earth? Did we lose something? Is the twentieth century at a disadvantage being so far removed from him In answer to those questions, it must be admitted that there would have been some advantages living at the time of our blessed Lord. We could have heard his voice and been tremendously impressed by the ring of its authority. Parents could have brought their children to him to have been blessed. Sinners would have been charmed, too, by the majesty of his bearing. All of us would have been stirred by the eloquence of his words. As were the police, you will remember, when they set out to arrest our blessed Lord, they were arrested by his eloquence. When they went back to the temple authorities, they said to the police, why did you not arrest him? And they said, no man ever spoke as that man spoke. These would have been some advantages. But, we must go on the words of our blessed Lord Himself, who said it was better for him that He go. This is what He said the night of the Last Supper, when the apostles were rather sad. It was only a few hours before His agony in the garden, and just the night before His death on the cross. He said to His apostles, now i am going back to him who sent me i can say truly it is better for you that i should go away he who is to befriend you will not come to you unless i do go but if only i make my way there i will send him to you our Lord was saying it is expedient that He go, for if He goes not, the Holy Spirit would not come to us. If our Lord had remained on earth, we could have gotten no closer than to have seen Him with our eyes and to have heard Him with our ears, or possibly even an embrace. It would have been a sensible outer love. But if He left, then He could send us His Spirit. Then he would not be an example to be copied. Then he would be a veritable life to be lived. Certainly we have lost his corporal presence, but the spiritual presence has taken its place. Now the Christ is no longer localized, external, but he's indwelling, vivifying, not in one place, but in his church and in the souls that belong to it. Are we therefore at a disadvantage? No, we are rather at a great advantage. Do not think that if you had lived in the time of our blessed Lord that it would have been any easier to have believed in his divinity than that it would be to believe in the divinity of his church now. Those who missed him miss the church now. Look at the apostles. They did not understand the meaning of his death until the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. It is vanity for us to say that we would have understood our Lord better than the apostles. Now that brings us to some of the lessons of the Holy Spirit And we're going to enumerate about four of them. The Holy Spirit, first of all, reveals the Son, that is to say, the Son of God, Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the Son as the Son reveals the Father. When our blessed Lord was on this earth, he revealed the Heavenly Father. It was only thanks to him that we knew how much love the Father had for us. The Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into this world. The night of the Last Supper, Philip said to him, Show us the Father. And our Lord said to him, Philip, have I been with you all this time? And still you do not understand? The Father and I are one. was the Father's love that sent the Son so that our blessed Lord was a kind of a prism just as when the earthly sun the sun of the heaven shines through a prism it splits up into the seven rays of the spectrum and so too it was thanks to our blessed Lord that we understood the full love goodness of the Heavenly Father. Now just as the Son revealed the Father, so the Holy Spirit that our Lord said he would send would reveal him. These are the words of our Lord. And he will bring honor to me because it is from me that he will derive what he makes plain to you, because all that belongs to the Father belongs to me. In these words, our blessed Lord is saying that once he ascends to the Father, then all of the spiritual blessings won by him on Calvary would be conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. For our blessed Lord has said during his earthly life, that we would not understand his life, we would not receive all of the merits of his life until the Spirit came to this earth. The great business of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is to stand behind the scenes, to make Christ more real. That is why the apostles did not understand the crucifixion until after Pentecost. St. Paul goes so far as to say that no one can call Jesus, Lord, except by the Spirit. Oh, yes, you can pronounce the word Jesus. But you do not know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, except by the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the divinity of Christ for this time, It is through the Holy Spirit that you believe, not through any words of mine. I am giving to you only certain motives of credibility. But the full assurance of it comes from the Spirit. As the telescope reveals not itself, but the stars beyond, so the Holy Spirit reveals not himself, but Christ Just think how we are able in this age of ours to communicate with distant parts of the earth thanks to electric or light waves. And why cannot, therefore, our Lord, who dwells in heaven, be within whispering distance of us through his Holy Spirit? So, our blessed Lord, as he said, was not going to leave us orphans. He said to his apostles, It is only for a short time that I am with you, my children. I will not leave you orphans. And then he promised his spirit that would abide with them forever. And that spirit, he said, was to be another comforter. He was their comfort on earth. And now his spirit would be their comfort, their paraclete, their advocate. Listen to the words of our Lord. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, one who would dwell with you forever. It is the truth-giving Spirit for whom the world can find no room, because it cannot see him, cannot recognize him. Our Lord is here saying that the world cannot understand the Holy Spirit because the world goes only by the evidence of the eyes and the ears; it cannot see the Holy Spirit. In these words to our Lord, is manifesting to us that He spoke to us from without, but the Holy Spirit would speak to us from within. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit is to be a substitute for Christ? No, the Holy Spirit will make Christ more real than ever. Hear the words of our Lord. And that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. How will he be in us? by revealing his hidden excellence in our hearts. That is why St. Paul said, if we have known Christ according to the flesh, we know him so no longer, because now we know him in another way. We know him through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, as our Lord said, will bear witness to him, not to himself. One almost gets the impression as if The different persons of the Trinity were hiding. It is almost as if the Father hid himself for the sake of the Son who revealed him. And it almost seems as if the the Son were now hiding himself for the sake of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit seems to hide himself too, for he does not manifest himself. The word hiding is not a proper word to use. We can make our idea clear by quoting the words of our blessed Lord. He will not utter a message of his own. He will utter the message that has been given to him. And he will make plain to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit, therefore, witnesses not to himself but to the Son. That is why only those who have the Spirit understand Christ. You will often hear people say, Oh, Jesus was a great teacher. Really, he and Lincoln and Plato have done a great deal for the world. And if we wanted to solve all of our economic and social problems, all we would have to do is read the Beatitudes of Jesus. People who talk that way do not understand that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world? For them, Jesus is just another man. Why do they not know him? Because they do not have the Spirit. And why do they not have the Spirit? Because they have not obeyed the law of God that they knew. However little or however much it was, our Lord said, If you love me, keep my commands. Then the Holy Spirit will manifest himself to us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit then is that of an artist. He draws a picture of our Lord on the canvas. He makes him real to us so that we understand him. And just as the artist stays outside of the canvas, so the Holy Spirit is staying outside of the Christ whom he reveals to us. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled, therefore, with Christ, so that we put on the mind of Christ, we put on the will of Christ. And there's nothing in the Gospel that gives us an answer to many of the problems of life and the difficulties of the day. If we were just simply to imitate the life of our blessed Lord as is found in the Gospel, we would all have to be carpenters. How then do we know what to do? Through the Spirit of Christ that manifests to us what we are to do in each and every circumstance. The proper word to say, the right action to do, the kind of charity to perform. Now this Spirit of Christ that is in our soul, we say, manifests Christ to us saint paul uses the example of the human mind to make clear the holy spirit saint paul asks how do we know the thoughts of another person well it's because we have a soul and a spirit just as he has engineers understand engineers and brokers understand brokers and students of the same college understand students of the same college why because they all have the same spirit are human to begin with, and then they have the spirit of engineers and brokers and so forth. Well, how do we understand Christ? Because we have the spirit of Christ. That is why those who share that spirit understand one another so readily. The natural spirit, the purely human spirit, the spirit that is not yet holy, cannot grasp the deep meaning of Christ. It's almost like expecting a canary in a cage to learn Shakespeare. He cannot do so. As you would have to put your own brain inside of the canary's brain. And so the brain of a scientist or a dramatist cannot understand the mysteries of redemption because it lacks the spirit. St. Paul puts it, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. And neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. To try to teach people about Christ and the mysteries of our holy faith is almost like trying to teach a blind man color unless those people are ready to receive the spirit of Christ himself. Now converts who take instruction come to know that Jesus is our Lord. Where do they learn it? From the Spirit. The very first lesson that we gave in this course, we said that one becomes interested in the Church simply because he's received a grace that illumined his mind and strengthened his will. Now the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit woos the soul, draws it to a closer fellowship, to more intimate union, becomes our sanctifier, just as the Father is our Creator and the Son is our Redeemer. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit in our daily lives. Now we come to another. Namely, the Holy Spirit in relationship to our understanding of sin. The night of the Last Supper, our Blessed Lord said that the Holy Spirit would Convict us of sin. The Spirit will come, our Lord said, and it will be for him to prove the world wrong about sin. They have not found belief in me. When do we come to a real understanding of sin? Our Lord says here, No one really grasps the evil of sin if he thinks it is just the breaking of a law. When we have the Spirit of Christ, we understand that sin is doing harm to one will. That is why the crucifixion is the manifestation of sin. That, as our Lord said, is unbelief in its essence. The absolute refusal to have the love and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit reveals to us that sin is the refusal to accept that deliverance purchased by Christ and nothing but the Spirit can convince us really of sin how often for example our conscience can be smothered by repeated evil actions, we rationalize our evil deeds, public opinion sometimes even approves of sin but the Spirit oh when the Holy Spirit is in us reveals to us that all unbelief is sin. That sin in some way is tied up with the crucifixion, with the cross. Then we begin to understand that the cross is a kind of an autobiography. We can see our own lives there. Our pride in the crown of thorns, our avarice in the nailing of hands our flight from grace in the pinioned feet our rebellious loves in the purest side and our disrespect of the body and the flesh that was hanging from him like purple rags the blood is the ink and his skin is the parchment and our sins constitute the writing Every sinner, therefore, as the Spirit of Christ, always thinks of sins in relationship to the crucifixion. And then our blessed Lord becomes our hope. So there is nothing like, therefore, the enlightened conscience in which we are not under a law. Actually, we're not. Those who really love Christ, we're beyond it. The Holy Spirit gives us a sense of holiness, and holiness is separation from the world. So St. Paul says that his conscience was enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Whenever, therefore, we do wrong, it is not the law, it's not the commandments, it's the Spirit that tells us that we are breaking off a relationship with love. That is why St. Paul tells us that as often as we sin, we crucify Christ anew in our hearts. Therefore, the life of a true Christian is not so much concerned with the avoidance of sin. We're beyond that. Rather, it is an attempt to, to reproduce in ourselves the life of Christ. As our Lord said of his Heavenly Father, all things that are pleasing to him, that I do. And so we say to the Trinity, all things that are pleasing to God, that we do, that constitutes our attitude towards sin, and that is done through the inspiration. I propose in this lesson to mention many other effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we may have time in this half hour for just one more. And perhaps we will talk about the Holy Spirit in relationship to the body, because hardly anyone ever thinks of that. St. Paul says, Know you not that your body is the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwelleth in you? How does our body become the temple of God? Well, because it is made holy by the indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our soul. Remember that when our blessed Lord went into the temple of Jerusalem and drove out the buyers and the sellers, the Pharisees asked him for a sign that he had authority to do that. And our blessed Lord said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. He was not referring to that earthly material temple that was in the course of the construction under Herod. He was referring to the temple of his body. What is a temple? The temple is a place where God dwells. And since he was the son of God in the flesh, therefore his body was the supreme temple. Now, in an analogical way, our body, when we are in the state of grace and possess the life of Christ in our soul, also becomes a temple. It is therefore the Holy Spirit that gives medicine its dignity. The truly spiritual man cannot treat a sick person as a guinea pig. Our Lord has a double glory one with the Father where he's glorified at the right hand but also he's glorified in us. Our Lord said the Holy Spirit shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit glorifies him in us by making us witnesses to Christ declaring him in our minds. Our actions. Let therefore the practical result of this lesson be to pray to the Holy Spirit that you may know Christ and the fullness of His gospel and the love of the Father. That you may understand that He is the source of power, the Holy Spirit. For our Lord said, I will send you power from on high. Every day of my priestly life I pray for that power of the Holy Spirit, a power that is not human, a power that is not physical, a power that is not intellectual, but rather a power that comes solely from living the Christ life, a power to influence people, power to impress you now as you listen to me about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And if then... In the course of this lesson, I have given to you any deeper comprehension of the beautiful love of the Trinity, of the Father who created us and sent his Son, of the Son who redeemed us, and of the Holy Spirit who sanctified us and makes of our body a temple of God. I say, if I have done anything to give you a closer understanding of the beauty of the Spirit of Christ, then I trust that you will, in gratitude, sometime say a little prayer to the Holy Spirit for me, that I may more and more in mind and heart and body show forth the Spirit.
0: Well, my dear Radio Maria family, thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, and uh, it was great to receive that catechism lesson on the Holy Spirit from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. May I remind you that you can find many of these recordings of Archbishop Sheen on our website, uh, simply bishopsheentoday.com. And uh, there at Bishop Today, you'll find hundreds of hours of audio recordings and videos uh, of Archbishop Sheen sharing the faith with the world. So uh, please visit the website bishopsheentoday.com. And know that uh, there's many books that you can purchase on the internet uh, from uh, Fulton Sheen's vast library of 66 books. And may I recommend to you our good friends at Sophia Institute Press. Uh, They offer us a 25% discount on books purchased by using a promo code SHEEN25 when you check out. And so their website is sophiainstitute.com. And again, Sophia Institute Press uh, gives a great uh, discount to us, uh, Radio Maria family, but also offers us a great selection of books, so please visit them today. My dear friends, may you have a great and blessed week, and until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.